We've been walking through the book of James this week. I'd like to look at chapter 4. In chapter 3, we looked at the power of the tongue and our speech and how much it affects what we're doing, how we're doing. We looked at the three illustrations of the bit, the rudder, and the spark, and recognize that much of our speech actually has even direction-setting power because of when we declare something, we're more likely to step into that and do it. It's just like if uh, you commit yourself to a task, you know, somebody asks you something, if you don't respond, it's a little easier to slide away, but if you say, yes, I will, then <laughs> there's something inside that says, I better do this. And that affects, even in our declarations with others, it has power in a similar fashion. Later in that chapter, he also goes through a thing of just saying, our speech shouldn't present a cloudy witness. He doesn't use the term witness, but he does draw the illustration of saying, you know, muddy water and and clean water shouldn't be mixed together. You shouldn't be blessing God and cursing at this, you know, it just shouldn't be coming out of the same mouth. What's it going to do? It's just going to present a cloudy picture of who you are as a person. And, and he gives several other illustrations. But then it's this fourth chapter, in a sense, is taking this a step further because where does this, who does your speech affect? It's that relationship thing and your connections with others, right? And he goes into this now and he talks about our quarrels and our, our squabbles with each other and recognizing that um, if you want to take it into this, we like Charlie was saying, we're in a spiritual battle, but it's not, it really shouldn't be each other. And yet that's often the plane that we live on where our own selfishness says, if you don't do things my way, then... I'm not going to get what I want, but also it means you're going to get what you want, and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be as good for me. And we spend a lot of energy on those kind of things, and we end up playing games, you know, where we'll, you know, if if you spend time doing this, well, then I make sure I'm going to spend some time for myself, you know. And at, at times I'll watch couples, <laughs> you know, well, he got to do this, so I'm going to do this, you know, and it's like. Well, that's great, but that's still living in that selfish mode, right? And, and we've grown up in that, and, and we take it. In Christ, we're asked to live differently, okay? Uh, I might as well read the Scripture rather than just summarizing each verse. But What causes quarrels and fights? It says, your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have... So you murder and covet, cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel. Um, My impression when I read this is that uh, James possibly had just gone through Genesis and the story of Cain and Abel is fresh in his mind. You know, there are a couple things that come out. He he gives, uh, he talks about sin as being something that when it takes you captive, it, it leaves you dead, and it, it's almost a personalizing of it. Just like when God spoke to Cain and said, sin's crouching at your door, you need to conquer this. You know, it, it, it gives almost like a human expression to it to help us understand 
the, the fight that was going on or what was, what was taking place. And, and in this one, he says, you murder. Now, is there a literal murder going on? Well, in Cain's case, yes. But if you take it to Jesus' declarations, he says, you know, you call somebody a fool, that's, that's like committing murder. It, it's destroying them. It's a shot to, to wound and to hurt and harm. Now, we can get real, list, real legalistic in this, right? You know, we stepped into Christ. We're not bound by the law. And yet, when it comes to defining our own behavior, I didn't call him a fool. I called him a jerk. Idiot. Loser. You know, and we'll use our own terms. That's not what the Bible, that's not the exact wording. How many know that that's just stepping into law and it's not really allowing the, the spirit of the message to come through? When we start using those kind of terms, it's, it's, it's similar to our form of murder is what, what God is, is declaring. And so when, when it comes into our interpersonal relationships, he says, we spend a lot of time quarreling because in our hearts we want it our way. And yet when we come to the Lord, we're being asked to live differently. He says, you don't have because you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. And he's just, he's saying, there's a reason your prayers aren't answered. Or, <laughs> you know, you fail to ask because you, you know, God doesn't, you know, what, is, what does he care about my life? Or what is he, you know, you can dismiss it. Or you go to the other extreme and just say, you know, well, I, I want to accomplish this. One of the things that, that uh, I've been looking at, particularly in recent years, is how many, how many of my dreams through life have been ego dreams and how many of those were actually spirit-driven dreams? And quite honestly, there's a lot of things that I've wanted to get done, and a lot of those things never came through. But it was, it was attached to this thing of, I wanted me to be better, or I wanted to this acclaim, or I wanted you know, an embracing in this measure. And, and those dreams at times just fall apart, and you're going, well, that doesn't seem right, or I don't like that. Or, you know, but what, what's the bottom line of it? It wasn't necessarily a God-inspired dream. I never submitted it to him. It was just, this seems good. It's easy to translate that into church activity, too. You know, we want different spiritual gifts, but often it's for the thing of, of personal affirmation and acclaim. And we have to come to terms with, why do I want to give a prophetic word? He said, that, so that somebody's other... Somebody's life might be built up and the kingdom of God will flourish or is it because it will give me a platform or a place within the group? Why do I want to see healing? Is it so that somebody can walk in wholeness or is it because that will, in a sense, say, oh, you're the person here. Why do I want to preach? Why do I want to teach? Why do I want anything that would have a, a public recognition? And a lot of times it's, it is self-driven. And we have to come to terms with, what does God desire? I mean, if we can do that in the church, how much more in the rest of, of things? You know, we, we, we in, in married life, you know, you know, 
God called me to lead. <laughs> he also called you to lay down your life, you know, <laughs> like Jesus, right? And, you know, God called you to submit. Well, <laughs> as unto Christ. You know, the, those tensions, what, what's it boiled down? We want our way. We want to be cared for, so to speak. We want it coming to us. And little is given to the eternal perspective. It has more that temporal thing in mind. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So again, when we, when we look in honesty at most of our quarrels, they're, they're built on the temporal. They have very little perspective of the eternal. Why do Shar and I scrap with each other even after all these years of marriage? Each still wants their own way. Now, it's not an every moment thing. I'd like to say every day. Um, some days we might get by without you know, saying something nasty. Um, not always. But why? Because our eyes still are pretty focused on the temporal. I hate it when I go to the Lord and say, how do you want me to do about this? Or what do you want me to do? I want you to take care of your business. Well, what about her? I want you to take care of your business. But she, I want you, you know, invariably, because the only person that we can truly change is ourselves, right? You can't force somebody else into it. Badger them and... I mean, you might wear them down for a bit, but they certainly are not going to embrace it with joy. And the fruit of that is not going to be a joyous fruit over the long haul. So that's set. You know, you move out a sphere, say to, to children. When was the first time you noticed selfishness in your child? I guarantee it's long before they can talk. Why are they crying? Are they fed? Are they warm? Are they, you know, diapered? Eh, they want your attention at times. Well, is it necessary? Well, it's appropriate at times, but there's times when it's time to go to sleep, right? But they don't feel sleepy. <laughs> they don't say that, but I mean, it comes out, right? So it starts very early in our lives, wanting our own way. That's what he's addressing and saying, there is something within us that strives for our own way and doing our own thing, that selfishness. That's at war with God. Genesis says that the Lord, in, this was in Noah's day, and he says he looks at humanity and says, their only inclination is evil all the time. Different translation. <laughs> but that said, what's going on? He gave us this will to choose to love him and choose to embrace his ways. 
with that came the opportunity for us to say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do things differently. The difference between us and a machine is that we have that opportunity to choose, right? He could have made us just to carry out his will one after the other without any conversation or variation, but that's how machines work. When I buy a drill, needed, of course, Kurt. When I buy another drill, needed, of course. When I pull that trigger, it better work or I chuck it. But it's every time I'm assuming that thing is going to spin and do what I ask of it. When I say, drill the hole and pull the trigger... It, that's what it does. It has no option. And when it quits doing that, I throw it. That's a tool. But a relationship has that opportunity to refuse, right? And so when we step into it and we work together and we commit ourselves to love, there's a value and a wonder there that says, this is different. This is precious. So that opened the door for us to make these choices. And when God looks at us, he's, he's going, they choose no a lot. And then it says in James, he gives more grace. In other words, he turns favor toward us even though we choose wrong regularly. He chose to interact with us even though he knew the price that we would be regularly saying no and the destruction that it would bring. But it does say he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So it says, you want to take on a fight with God, all you have to do is say no. But if you will humble yourself and respond to him, he says there is a favor over that position. In that humility, you have opportunity of a very precious relationship with the creator of all things. The next verse is very interesting to me. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is part of that idea of the fight that we're in. What stands out to me this time in reading through it, you have a choice who you're going to submit to, and obviously you're better off submitting to God. But it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We spend a lot of energy on saying, flee temptation, which is appropriate, but at some point, you have to look temptation in the face or look the adversary's challenge to you and say no. And there is an opportunity here to have victory. So when, when we're in this war, so to speak, and our selfish desires are pushing us in a particular direction, and the enemy is going, you really, this would be best for you. At some level, you're going to have to say, but I choose God's path. 
It says he will flee from you when it comes to the enemy. Remember when Jesus was faced with temptation? He comes out victorious and the declaration is made that, the, that Satan leaves him for a more opportune time. He did not have victory. In Ephesians, when we're told to take on the whole armor of God, is what? So you may resist the devil's schemes. Where this plays out is that when you are tempted, you know, you can, you can avoid and you can you kind of build in barriers. And that's what we do when we hold ourselves accountable to others, you know, that kind of thing. But ultimately, you have to make a decision, right? You have to say, no, I'm not going to be consumed by this. Why is it that pornography has been such a scourge in our day? Because it isn't just I can avoid that place in the, in the bookstore or at the gas station, or, but it, when it's in our home, it's on our computer, it's, it, it's right there in front of you. At some level, you're going to have to say, no, I'm not going down this path. And you have to keep making that choice. Now, isn't it, you know, when most of us were growing up, it's like you learn the chase in regard to the other sex, right? You learn how to wear deodorant because at some point your family says, that's disgusting, <laughs> right? And then if you have a sister, she comes along and says, why do you always dress like that? You need to wear something The other side is when you've been out of that long enough, you don't even know what's in style, and you run into these things of, oh, God, help me. <laughs> um, but that's a different thing. The chase is something that over years you hone your skills, so to speak, in communication. You realize at some level, if, if I really like this gal, I'm going to have to learn how to say hello, and maybe even how are you, and uh, maybe two or three other sentences might be valuable, <laughs> just saying. But what happens when you get married and that chase, so to speak, is over with others? Now, I realize there's a continued investment in your spouse, but at some level, when Satan comes and says, hey, that person's pretty attractive, and they seem to show you a fair amount of attention, and you've got to be willing to say no, right? Isn't that resisting the enemy? And isn't that a, a conscious choice that you make and say, I'm done with that phase of life. This is my choice in God. That's, in a sense, resisting the enemy, right? That's saying, I've made this decision, and I will not go down this path. Even though there are things telling me that we could end up together, right? Because why? 
You've made this decision in the Lord. You know what his desires are. And you make this declaration that says, I'm going to resist the enemy. And even though he might be prompting me with something inside of me that says, man, I, I sure like the attention, you still make the declaration that says, no. And what does it say of the enemy? It says, he will move. He's going to flee, right? He will run, not you. It's, it's kind of an intriguing thing because if you're going to try to just run from the devil, how's that going to work for you? He has the ability to move quicker than you. He's not bound by spatial terms. So he, he can be anywhere you turn in that regard, right? So you're not going to just physically get out of his way. And, you know, if you're going to just say, well, I'll avoid it, does that make him leave you alone? I just won't think about it. Well, then it's back in, well, I, I'll try not to think about it. I, at some level, you're going to have to make a declaration that says, no, this isn't for me. And it's, this, this verse is powerful when it says, resist and he will flee. You can't get away from him, but he can run from you. Paul says in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We know the end scene of Satan's destruction. But we are also told that there is a victory to be had in this life as well as we commit ourselves to that course. I'm not going to tell you that it's simple. I'm not going to pretend. I mean, always he's come as a deceiver. He comes picking on weaknesses, looking for a foothold, looking for an avenue of life that we have yet to have full victory in, or that is to be probed, so to speak. And yet, there is an opportunity for us to resist and have victory. And as you continue in that, it, it takes place. I, I've had experiences at night where it's like an anxiety or a fear will come over me regarding a situation. And at times, all I could do was pull up at like an old hymn or something I'd learned as a kid, you know, and I'd be singing it, and suddenly peace would be there. And you're going, I don't know exactly what took place here, except that I'm free of this thing that I wasn't free of 10 minutes ago or an hour ago or two, you know, however long it was going on. And there are times when you know, you're into a situation and you're going, God, I, I, you know what's right. And so you make the right decision. And it says he will flee you. You have the, the right to see victory and persevere until victory is yours. What an awesome thing that is. 
It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. He says, you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. He's used this double-minded phrase twice. It's, I only found it one other time in Scripture in Psalm 119. But James is recognizing that regularly in Christian circles, we function in kind of a double-mindedness. We make one declaration, we, we try to live something else. One foot in the world, one foot in heaven. You know, it's that tension. And he's going... Don't let that be the declaration of your life. So if you're seeking the Lord's will in that first chapter, verse 8, he makes the comment, if you're being double-minded, it's like if you ask God's will and he gives you something and you're going, oh, I don't know if that's, you know, let's, what about this? You know, and you can easily step into confusion if you're just going to bounce back and forth because you don't really want to accept what he's told you. And so now in this section, it's like, you know, your behavior, you, you have this desire that is rooted in selfishness. And yet if God speaks to you, what do you need to do? You need to be obedient to what he's asked. You need to respond to what, he's, what he has to say. He says, don't speak evil against each other. And then he moves in, and I'm going to, race through because I have another portion I want to bring it. He says, you can get caught up in boasting today or tomorrow we're going to do this. And he says, that again, if we're going to pull this in context of the rest of what he's been saying, the idea is, is that there are times when in our own egos we're going to this is what I'm going to accomplish. It's like that self-made person, right? And he's going, that's not what this is about. Now, is this a declaration against planning? I don't think so. This is a declaration against you choosing and planning your own way rather than submitting things to the Lord and saying, how does this need to be done and where does my life need to go? says, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so again, there is a, a future projection, and in a sense, that would be planning, right? But he says, if, if this is God's desire, this is, this is the way we're going to go. And it's, to me, it's like this thing of, this is the best that I can come up with in the Lord. This is, this is the direction I'm going to go unless I hear differently from him. Says boasting's evil. You know, it, it, it's this thing of, am I submitting my plans to God? It's just like coming to school and, and saying, this is going to be my major. Well, did God speak that to you, or is this just something you've declared? Chewing that for a while. Fourth year and having to evaluate it. My assumption is he would tell you to finish the degree, but you've got some struggle ahead. That's free advice. Um, 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
I like this particular translation because the way I learned it was whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. But in the context of what we've been looking at, I would say this means if God speaks a word to you of this is the direction that you should go, you know the right path. You know the right thing that needs to happen. And to refuse to do that is sin. So regularly, fear can keep us from that, right? We're going, I, I, I like Charlie was saying, I, we're too insecure to step forward into the truth of what God has. Or the bragging that says, this is what I want. This is what I demand. But rather to say, this is what God has spoken to me, so this is what I'm going to do. This is the knowing what's right and responding and saying, that's the path that I'm going to walk. So as we've walked through this, we've, we've acknowledged our own passions at times tend to get us in trouble. Because there's that selfish desire that wants things our way and wants comfort in the moment, that wants pleasure now, that seeks uh, affirmation and acclamation from others all the time. And yet there's opportunity for us to acknowledge that there is a whole world out there that's bigger than what we're looking at in the moment. And if we start to see things in the eternal, we recognize that God wants to transform us in ways that we couldn't imagine. And when he gives us direction, this is direction that can move forward with, with I want to say profit, with success because God stamped it. Resist the devil and he will flee. Take on the fight, so to speak, and know that victory will be yours. Call out to him for direction and humble yourself before him and know that when that is submitted before him, it says he gives grace to the humble. That he will lift you up and exalt you. That's a declaration of success over his call and his plans, right? You know, we can get all consumed with trying to be success, but what, then you have to redefine what is success in God. But in that, there's opportunity to know it will work out. So he exalts those he loves. James, again, wrote to the church, and his message went out to the known Christian world. He was the leader of that day. Pastor of the Jerusalem church, as far as we know. He saw church life, and he's pointing to things that every church struggles with. I mean, when we walk through this book, we're going... This is so intensely practical. I mean, it's just like what we're in today. Well, yeah. 
because humanity hasn't changed. You know, there's a different look, but it's the same people, so to speak. And he's addressing this and saying, let's submit to God. Let's call upon him and know that he's going to establish our lives. Let's have that faith and confidence that he'll accomplish his desire for us. Thank you, Lord, for your scripture that speaks life. And even in this morning, Lord, we pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to you and to brace that you will bring us through victoriously according to your plan. Your desire is to have fullness of relationship with us. Amen. I want to give one final thought and then pray for God's blessing upon you. Remind you that there's a meal downstairs. In regard to this um, conflict with the enemy, there are two extremes. There's the thought that I will never beat him. And that's a, kind of that losing mentality. He said, I might as well just give up. The other is this uh, false bravado and not recognizing him as... You, you can respect an adversary without yielding, right? You can respect the power of an enemy but not yield. And that's where, in some ways, we have to develop our thought... Um, it's not a, a, a false uh, goofiness that Satan, we rebuke you for this and that. And, you know, it's that formulaic uh, whatever, you know, that if I say the right words, then he'll run. Well, no. <laughs> but if you're committed to victory in your heart and mind, that's when you're going to have victory because in the Lord you have opportunity to see Him advance your cause. So I encourage you, if you've been struggling and wrestling with some of these issues, it'd be good to get prayer with others and just to um, see what God can do that way. And I encourage those of you that are gifted in prayer to seek out others and to begin to minister that way as well. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to humble themselves before you and find victory in you. To accomplish your dreams. To fulfill the things that you have set as destiny for them. Ask for each one that they would be victorious over the enemy. I pray that in their hearts they would establish what is right and set that course for their lives. Lord, as each one goes into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I said that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. God bless you.